Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hey, what's going on, folks? Alvin here. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to give a little bit of a heads up that this week we jumped into a discussion that as two men, we aren't exactly qualified to have. But you know what we say here? We are not afraid to kick down that door, even if there's an angry mob behind that door ready to tear our heads off. We want to learn here. So as I was editing this episode, there was some content in it that I said, "Ooh, yeah, they're going to get us for that. But Instead of taking it out, I wanted to just leave some of it in and let the conversation go out into the world and allow ourselves to get our heads ripped off, get chewed out, get reality checked, whatever the case may be, because from that comes education, which is something that we are always wanting on subjects that we don't we aren't well versed in. So um, I just wanted to give everybody a heads up before the pod started that that's at the top of the podcast, that is what we discussed, and uh, you'll see soon enough what the conversation was about. I think some of you guys can guess based on what's been happening in the news lately, but, you know, just once again, I wanted to give a little heads up. So, um, uh, enjoy the podcast. Bye. Welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. What up? Folks, it has not been a good week for the reputation of men. A good month, even. Just, it's just been a weird month, man. Uh, Bill Cosby was sentenced to three to ten years for sexual assault of a woman named Andrea Constand, uh, and he will have to register as a sexual predator for the rest of his life which won't be long really he's 81 now i don't think cosby will make it through 2019 if i'm going to be honest but uh there's been some debate about why is he going to jail but uh you know uh harvey weinstein's still out of jail and matt matt lauer's out of jail and all these kind of things and what i say to those people is if we're under the assumption and the belief that bill cosby's a sexual predator Let's not muddy this with race, right? Like, I think Harvey Weinstein will have his day in court. I don't know if Matt Lauer will have his day in court because I don't. I don't think his his allegations were as serious and as criminally uh, pursued as these were. But if you believe the things that Bill Cosby is accused of, then it doesn't matter if if the black guy is the first one to go down and, and the white guy is soon to follow. It's like. 
a sexual predator got, you know, got justice. Women got justice for what happened to them. And, and that's my stance on it. Um, I don't know how, how much, uh, investigation you've done into this whole thing, Fran, but, uh, where do you stand on the whole Cosby thing? I know it's like a mind blowing situation. Cause like you grew up watching the Cosby show. It means a lot. Where do you stand on that? Have you heard that argument? I've seen it on Facebook, but I haven't, um, paid attention to it. Do I think he's guilty? No. Okay. I'll be honest. I don't think All right. Is. But, um, as far as race, I think it may have a part, a little, like 2%. Okay. But I don't think it's... Do you want to expound on why you don't think he's guilty? Why I don't think he's guilty? Yeah. I just think it's all for the money, to be honest. Okay. But who am I to, you know, it's just my opinion, so... Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. A lot of women. That's all I'll say. Yeah. I am of the belief, and that's that, that actually is a good segue into the next topic, which is the, um, this... Christine Blasey Ford, this Brett Kavanaugh situation where this woman had to, she, she came forward and alleged that Brett Kavanaugh, he's supposed to be getting nominated to be a Supreme court judge. Mm -hmm. She came forward and said that he sexually assaulted her or attempted to sexually assault her when they were like 17 years old. There's no money to be, to be had in this situation. This woman had to come out and, describe horrible details about something that happened to her mm. in front of a court of men and hold back tears and 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 uh and and give vivid details about something that she you know describes as a horrible night in her life mm-hmm. and it's a night that this guy can barely remember and I think that that kind of parallel of like this woman is saying this is the, like one of the worst things that's ever happened to her in her life. And this guy's like, well, I have this calendar here and we I go to a lot of parties. I don't remember doing that. Um, I don't think you can just say that any 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 allegation is a money grab or some kind of trick or anything like that. I don't think that I'm a person who I'm a skeptic, so I don't believe all of anybody. Like there's this kind of chant going around of like believe, believe we believe women, right? Mm-hmm. And I get that. Um, to to your point, I don't think that you should just go, come out of the gate and believe anybody. But right. if somebody can come out and corroborate a story and tell you in vivid detail about an event that happened, I don't think they're making up that night to to get money. Okay. Now, if you if, Not- if you if you can, if, I think that a I think that woman or man, a person should, if you're going to make an allegation that could change somebody's life, you should have to describe it and, and and it should be able to be corroborated. I don't think that that's crazy to say. I don't think you should be able to just go, well, it happened because I said it happened. But if you can say me and this person were in the same house 20 years ago, five years ago, uh, you know, and, and, and that person can't deny that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's asking a lot. I'm a person who doesn't just believe people off rip. Yeah. Me, you know? me either. I'm but, just, I need, but I do believe this woman. Okay. She gave her testimony. I don't see any reason that a woman would have to ruin her family's lives by introducing this whole right wing flow of people. There's nothing to be gained from all the hate when you're a, you know, 60 year old woman who is a doctor and has a family. Why? Other than the fact that you don't want to see somebody who predatorized you be appointed to this super high position in the country. Other than that, what benefit does she get from now being the target of scrutiny and being called a liar and being called 
you know, uh, making up rape allegations. I don't think that there's a lot. There's more to be lost and gained in that situation. This is a little bit different than the Cosby situation because there were a lot of allegations. Now, I'm of the I am slightly with you in the sense that I don't believe I believe that it's possible that some of the women that accused Bill Cosby of what they accused Bill Cosby of were lying because some of them were, in fact, proved to be false. But if a person comes forward and says, I think this is a hard conversation for us to have as men because we don't know the perspective of a woman and, 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 and what they might be feeling in a situation where it's just the two of you in a room. And if she feels like if I don't do this, where this could lead to. So I don't think it's I don't think it's it's, it's hard for us to just say, well, she didn't tell Bill Cosby, don't rape me. So they had sex. So it must have been consensual. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's a hard it's a hard line to cross as men in this conversation, but I'm, I'm not going to let that stop us from having a conversation to try to figure out where we, where we fall on it. Mm. Um, I think that that woman, Christine Blasey Ford, she came forward and she, and she gave testimony that I don't, I, I feel bad that it was like on TV and all these kind of things. Cause I do believe her. So she basically had to just tell the world how describe how she was pinned down to a bed and her mouth was covered up and all this kind of stuff. And she was able to shake them off and run away. And she had to kind of do that on the news in front of everybody. But I don't think it should be done in that kind of way, but maybe like some kind of arbitration in a room, you and the person that you're accusing, you get to make your case to this person. It doesn't have to be a whole public thing, but I don't, I don't think it's fair for somebody to just be able to say this person did something to me and I have no evidence to, to, to back it up mm-hmm. you know what i mean like I, I i think that that's a that's a very like salem witch trialy kind of thing and we're probably going to get backlash for having this conversation but as men th- this is the thought of a lot of men so i mean I'm, I'm i'm all i'm all ready for the conversation to come about how we're pursuing this and all that kind of stuff i have no problem with that i'm, I'm willing to um accept that i'm wrong or that my thoughts on something are wrong and be swayed to understand how the conversation should be had. But as far as how I stand right now, I do believe the Christine Blasey Ford thing. And I do believe that when those accusations get to a certain number of people, you can't just keep saying, Oh, they're all, it's all a money grab. And that's just in reference to the Cosby situation. I don't think that they had this whole trial and everything. And they weren't able to find some kind of link or evidence to say, well, I mean, yeah, man, you're a fucking predator. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is everything is just some elaborate lie from a woman to get money. Those are my thoughts on the situation. Um, Fran, I, I understand your thoughts on the situation. Um, be ready. For what? F- be ready for anybody who hears this who is on the side of, no, you believe, you believe, you have to believe every woman. Cause that's gonna that's definitely gonna come your way, for for just your stance on that. But my stance on what for money? You mean? Just saying that you don't believe. Well, I was saying that that Bill that, that, uh, that uh, Bill Cosby got convicted for. Cause... I'm I was saying that it could be a possibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm I was trying to say that. I mean, I don't from a from a man's point of view, mm-hmm. or from somebody looking on the outside looking in. Uh-huh. I don't know how, you know, these situations go with women and stuff like that. So it's like, why does it take so long? I guess 
it's something women hold in for so long they just can't it's they're embarrassed get good. embarrassed to you know let people know but why does it take so long for them to come out and i i mean i know people have something to say but it's just it's just my i mean i don't it's just what i think so i, I was got, like I why got do, you. I got you. why when somebody gets i don't know i'm not gonna say this guy's known but you know when he's about to run for something or whatever uh-huh. and now this comes out yeah like when bill calls me he's, he's like what he's like 80 i don't know how old he is and then now this comes out 81 so it's like well, what I will say in the Cosby in the Cosby situation with the Brett Kavanaugh thing, I I can't speak on why this was the time that she spoke out. Mm. It could be that Brett Kavanaugh, I didn't know who Brett Kavanaugh was a year ago, right? So maybe she was able to block this out of her mind. There's stories that she says, you know, this all came up in a therapy session because the the um they were remodeling their house mm-hmm. and the white and and Christine was like, well, I, we need double locks on all the doors. Mm-hmm. And they were in, uh, you know, couples therapy, and it came up of like, why do you, why are you so adamant about that? Why that turned into a fight of why they need double locks on the door? She says, well, I was a victim of sexual assault, mm. and that's why I, I don't feel safe in my home, and I, I like to have the doors extra, you know, secured, mm-hmm. you know. And then you look up on TV one day, and you see your sexual assault, you know, assailant on television shaking hands with the president mm. about to be appointed to a lifetime seat on a court that makes decisions about women's bodies and, 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 and things that happen in neighborhoods that are, you know, majority don't look like that person. And you go, Oh, oh my God, that's the person that like, you know, took, you know, like innocence from me and mm. it made, gave me this lifetime of, you know, uh, being looking over my shoulder and not trusting men and all that kind of stuff. Why should he get to, do that, mm. you know. So it could be a, it could be a combination of a, a bunch of kind of things like that. Of right. like maybe you know, it it who Brett Kavanaugh was when they were young. She would look crazy if she said Brett did that to me, or she didn't want to deal with the embarrassment, or she didn't want to make a big deal out of it, or whatever the case is. There's a lot of reasons why a woman wouldn't come forward yeah. about sexual assault, but there's a lot of reasons why if you saw the person who did that to you on television getting the Nobel Peace Prize or getting some kind, any kind of, you know, accolade for a good person, why you would feel the need to go, well, no, that person is not a good person. They tried to rape me. Mm. So I, I understand that. But I do also understand that the timing would look weird to somebody. Right. And, and as a skeptic myself, I definitely go, oh, wow, that's weird timing. That's what I mean. You know, for I mean. sure. I understand. I understand. Oh, I, understand right. I understand what you're saying. Uh-huh. I'm just letting you know that there are going to be people who aren't going to understand what you're saying. Yeah, but that's I, what I'm just I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate. Right. I understand what you're saying. I just don't think that we sh- we should as, as far as talk, talking about this topic, we shouldn't get negative backlash because. I mean, we don't we don't know. I mean, it's I'm just we a, all I'm just. Not a, I'm not a woman. I've never I mean. been sexually assaulted, right. so I I can't I can't speak to what you what a woman. But there are men who have been sexually assaulted. I can't speak as a sex. I've never been a victim of sexual assault. Let right. me clear that up. I've never been a victim of sexual assault because there are se- victims of sexual assault that are male, female, whatever. I've never been a victim of sexual assault, so I don't understand the embarrassment, the fear. Is that, that's that, what I mean. Being threatened to not say anything, mm-hmm. I, you know, w- trying to block it out. I don't understand those things. I, but as people who we've said this on this podcast before, we're we're dummies, and we're always willing to have the conversation to learn. So this is us just kind of thinking out loud and and trying to understand something. And if it if a conversation comes from it, we welcome it because we would love to be more informed on you know what a woman like Christine Blasey Ford went through for the last 30 some odd years, years or whatever. Like 
what is that like? You know, I, and that's that's a hard thing to try to talk about as a woman of, or as a victim of sexual assault. I'm I'm sure. And hearing two guys go, well, I don't believe her. And I don't, yeah. Well, I just, I well, yeah. But to make it clear, I'm not saying that she's lying. I don't want yeah. nobody to think. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm not. I'm far from saying that. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so I'm not saying that she's. It's this false or whatever. Yeah. The Bill Cosby situation and this situation. Yeah. I'm not saying. I mean, I don't know. You're, you're just saying. You're just saying. You're not jump. You're not one to jump straight to the. Yeah, no. Fuck this person. I'm a fact. I'm, need, a, I'm you, a facts type of guy. Yeah, no. I, and I and I, I fully understand right. that. And and I think that in this situation, passion kind of takes the forefront yeah. because mm-hmm. of the fact that there is so little ability to give facts. Yeah. Like you can't. There's no DNA to get. There is no cameras. There is no. Uh, there's not a witnesses. There's not. You know. There's not a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So it basically is uh, in all of, in a lot of these situations. And that's why it always becomes like men are the men are the bad guys if they go, oh, well, but what if she's lying? Because of the fact that there is no there's in most of these situations, there's not a lot of facts to give. It's just he say she say type of stuff. Is he say is he say she say and the evidence to fight that that's I, I see given, you know, most of the time that I can't refute is just you know rape statistic facts about how many people report it how many people don't report it how many of those are lies mm-hmm. and the percentage of lies is always a very small it's like two percent of all rape cases are lies mm-hmm. i'm just saying it happens we don't live in a world of absolutes it's possible to believe the brett kavanaugh situation to believe the bill cosby situation but also believe that another situation could come across you know the media stream or your news feed on twitter and it'd be fake it'd be a lie mm-hmm. somebody be telling a lie that is a possible thing and i think that that's that i don't know if that's a bridge that'll ever be gapped from as men to women i always try to check my male privilege because we do have that as men i know there's like white privilege and all these kind of things but as men we do have advantages in society that women just don't have. So I always try to check that when I can. And this is a situation where I definitely had to check it because I watched that woman, you know, bravely go before a fucking panel of 60 white men with all of them don't believing her. They already, they came into that room ready to just laugh her out the room and disregard everything that she's saying. And she stood there and she gave her testimony and it was honest and it was raw. And I believe her. And I'm sorry that she had to even do that. But her doing that reaffirmed my belief in what her story was. So mm-hmm. I, it sucks that that's what had to happen. For me, you know, for me, I definitely um, wasn't just out the gate like, well, yeah, this happened 30 years ago, but it's true. You know, I, I, I definitely, I can't, I can't, I'm, the skeptic in me just won't allow me to do that anyway. I, I definitely, my ears peak. I'm definitely always like, okay, well, let's listen to this woman. And hear what she has to say because she has every right to to speak her truth. If that if, if if she believes that this man sexually assaulted her, she has every right to tell her story. But I understand where you're coming from in the sense that I don't I and I I believe the same thing. You can't just believe everybody. Mm. It, it just that's just a that's just a weird way to try to live life. It's just like I'm not, I'm not I wouldn't say it's gullible. But it's pretty close to being gullible where you're just like, oh, you just believe everything you're being told because yeah. some people lie. It happens. You know, it's just it's proof that people lie. But um, in these two cases and in many other cases, I definitely, you know, um, believe the victims in these cases. But it was just a, it was a rough it was a rough work, a rough week to be uh, a man and 
and and hear of all these stories of women being assaulted and 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 men men who you you held on such a high pedestal like Bill Cosby raised me man you know what I mean Bill Cosby like the Cosby show I looked up to that show I looked up to Heathcliff Huxtable I thought he was like what you want to be when you're a dad and mm. an adult person all this kind of stuff and it all seems to have been a lie because he was a creepy creepy dirtbag um but that's my thoughts on that I don't again we're not qualified to be having these conversations as two men without a woman present, but I don't like to have those kind of things stop us from having the conversation because you find, sometimes you find a nugget of an idea in, in conversations that might not be the best for you to be having. So, you know, we welcome anybody's thoughts on what we just talked about and, you know, we're ready, man. We're ready to brave the fire or whatever you guys have to say. That, that's fine with me, but um, let's let's jump out of that and uh, jump into these good vibes and clear things up a little bit. That's right, folks. Welcome to another Good Vibes segment. Fran, what do you got for me this week? So my Good Vibes story about is about Shelly Tenches. Tense. I keep... I, <laughs> I want to say tenches, but it's tense. Tense? Yeah, tense. That's, that's complicated. So when the manager of North Carolina Walmart heard about Shelly Tench's mission to help Hurricane Florence victims, he opened his he opened his own wallet so he could contribute over a thousand to the cause. Okay. With fifty dollars in her pocket, Tench first went to first went into the Walmart and Garner earlier this month with the intentions intention of spending the last of her money on T shirts and underwear for a local hurricane relief shelter. That's that's dedication. And this is her money. Yeah. This her last her, money. her last money. Yes, her last fifty bucks. Uh the shelter had told her that the that while people were able to take hot showers at their facilities, they did not usually have clean clothes that they can change into. Which I mean, that's, that's super uncomfortable. Yeah, I would think. like to get a shower and then put on the same the clo- the dirty clothes. Yeah, yeah, and it's also just clothes do a lot for people, man. Like it makes you feel like a human being. Yeah, you know, to put on a clean shirt and some clean pants. And some clean, not holy socks. Yeah, it just makes it gives you dignity, man. I mean, I I do it at my own house. You know, I put some clean clothes. I have plenty of clothes. Yeah, I take a shower, put some clothes on. I feel comfortable. Exactly. You, you know, relax. I might clean. even go an extra mile, try to match my casual shit in the house with the shorts, the t-shirt, just yep. give myself a little flair. Yeah, it just feels good, man. Put some, some cool clothes, socks yeah, on. Clothes just make you feel like a person. Yep. So upon arriving to the Walmart, she asked the manager Jeff Jobs. If she could have some some sort of discount for the clothing, and she was she was stunned by his response. So when Jeff heard about the plight of the people at the shelter, he didn't give me a discount. Instead, he armed me with one of his associates, who was his name was Alex, mm-hmm. and a shopping cart, and told her to fill it up on him. Oh, so, okay. Uh, okay, Walmart tw- manager. Yeah, twelve hundred dollars later, I was able to deliver two hundred fifty items of clothing to the vacuum. The evacuees at the Garner High Shelter because Jeff the manager. That sounds like that should be his name. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff the manager. Yeah. Jeff the manager loved his community and he proved it with his actions. Shout out to Jeff, man. Yeah. Because because Walmart's a corporation. You can you he took some he took some flack for that at first until this probably got some notoriety. Mm-hmm. But that's you can't just make that call like hey, it's on me. You gotta you gotta make a phone call to go do shit like that at a, at a Walmart. But I think that might have been like 
his own his money. money. Oh well, then and that, he was like, mind. they can just take it out my check. Walmart, I, I didn't know Walmart was giving it up like that. You, you just got a thousand to spare as a Walmart yeah, manager. Yeah. He might be, he might be doing some some insidious stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, but shout out to Jeff though. We're not gonna we're not gonna count Jeff's pockets. You know, he might have put in the work at Walmart and you know worked his way up to a great position. Maybe Walmart management is like one of the most underrated jobs in America. Maybe what Walmart hey. is this? Somewhere in I'm North like, Carolina. I'm like, I'm like, hey, Jeff, Jeff the manager. Let me let me hold some. I need some clothes. <laughs> I like let me clothes. Hold I like clothes, Jeff. He giving yeah. out money like that. Jeff might be a Jeff might be a sugar daddy on the that low. That might not be his real job. I'm not gonna say that. Yeah, let's not. Let's not, let's not <laughs> speculate on what Jeff does on his off days when he clocks out at, at Walmart. But so, shout out to Jeff though. That's shout out to Jeff. Shout out to what's the woman's name? Shelly. Shelly Skips. Skisms. She- no, what? Shelly Tench. Shelly Tench. Shout out yeah. to Shelly Tench. Just off the rip of being like, I'm going to go. What did you say her name was? Schisms. I was thinking of, <laughs> I was thinking of Shirley, Shirley Kisms. I think that that's an African-American, like a like a black history person. Shirley Tisms. Anybody who knows that name, I'm sorry. I'm dumb. I don't. I know the name, but I don't know what she does. Shirley Tism is definitely a person, or I'm close to her name. I trust me. But I just don't know what it is. He was thinking of a There's just names floating in my brain of things that I've learned in my life. And sometimes I hear something and I connect it. So you said Shirley Skiz. I was thinking. I didn't of, say that. What'd you say? I said Shelly. Ten- I didn't say Skiz. Shirley. Shelly what? Tench. Shelly. You said Shelly Tench, and I thought of Shirley Skisms. <laughs> so that's just my I made brain. up person. He just made up. Yeah. So shout out to she- Shelly Tench. Tench. Shout out to Shelly Tench, and shout out to Jeff the manager for making a difference in all those people's lives at that Walmart in Galveston. Man, you just all look. No. Wow. Okay. <laughs> sorry. What is it? Garner. Garner Tech. No. Carolina. North Carolina, yes. Garner, North Carolina, uh, Hurricane Florence ripped through there, and uh, Shelly and Jeff, the manager, decided to make a difference in those people's lives, and they did. And, and shout out to them. $1,200 is a lot of money, especially at a Walmart. Yeah. You could buy a whole Walmart for $1,200. I would uh, I would agree. So, yeah. So, shout out to them. Is there any more to the story? Or? Nope. Wow. Yeah, that was, that, that was definitely good vibes. My good vibes story uh, was one I heard earlier this week, and it just really put a smile on my face. Uh, I have not been to the Inner Harbor in a long time in Baltimore. But if you have been to the Inner Harbor in Baltimore lately, you may have seen these two men, who young men who were recently on Ellen this week. Uh, they call themselves A1 Chops, and the they're like two snare drum players. Uh, they play down at the Inner Harbor all the time. As a matter of fact, like where if you go look up their videos on YouTube, A1 Chops, where they play, me and Fran used to walk down that little strip and stunt off. Just, just walk back and forth just to walk and have, with a fresh outfit on. That was one of the places that we would just display fresh outfits, which was like along the water, headed towards like the, the Port Discovery place? or whatever yeah, that is, I that, knew, yeah, I knew. where the boats and all that stuff. Yeah, There's like uh-huh. that boat you can rent. Mm-hmm. They play right there, yep. and they kill the drums. They spin them and twirl them and put them between their legs and jump and toss the sticks to each other. They do all these incredible things. But the thing that I love so much is because they're they look like they're no older than 20 years old. And they look just like the kids that would be, uh, you know, w- wiping off windshields mm-hmm. for money, even though every car has windshield. I, I know we've taken these kids to task a couple times on these on this podcast, but it just is the truth. You kids should find another hustle because people are giving you money for three reasons. One, they feel sorry for you. Mm-hmm. Two, they're afraid of you. Mm-hmm. And three, they're just trying to contribute to like, I'm going to help this young black man out, you know, but you want people to give you money because you're providing a service to them that they need or you're entertaining or you're doing something that they need. Sell them a water, do a 
do use your talent find a talent like these kids these two kids found a found a talent uh, their names are timothy fletcher and malik perry and they found a talent and they went viral and it took them onto the ellen DeGeneres show i love ellen DeGeneres. i think she has a heart of pure gold she's a very nice person she's funny she can dance and she brought them on the show and not only did she let them display their talent because she could have just let them come on the show and just interview them mm-hmm. she let them display their talent so blow all those people's minds in that audience you know, providing them future opportunities possibly because people see like, oh man, I I'm, I'm doing I'm going on tour. I'm a rapper and I'm going on tour. I, I could use them in my, in my background. Yeah. So she provided them opportunity and then she let them sit on their couch and they sound just like people that we know because they're from Baltimore. So mm-hmm. they, and they you know they're young inner city black kids. So you know they aren't like, you know no, no I take that back. I, I didn't even, I didn't even say it, but they were eloquent. But they were eloquent with like Baltimore sauce on it, you know. Mm-hmm. So they definitely talked like us. They definitely, you know, uh, you know, uh, dropped the R off of some stuff and, and didn't u- and use the D instead of a T, you know, like you know, just Baltimore, you know, mannerisms. Mm-hmm. But they they were young, excellent black men on a stage, you know, speaking in positive uh, fashion and. You know, and extremely talented. And I thought this was just a beautiful look for the city of Baltimore. You know, two young men who aren't criminals and who aren't, you know, on the news because of something bad. Mm. They were on Ellen and on the news because of something amazing that they do that I've never seen anybody do. They they do shit with the snare. Man, one of them took the stick and threw it off the ground and it bounced up 20 feet in the air and the other kid caught it and then he started playing the drums. <laughs> I mean, they were doing shit that would put drumline to shame. Mm. And it was just incredible and I thought it was just a beautiful moment to see two people from my city on a TV show for positive reasons. The only concern that I have is that if they play down at the Inner Harbor, I have to assume that they live like in West Baltimore or something like that. And Ellen DeGeneres gave them $10,000 on television. Oh, really? Yeah, like she oh, gave wow. them each $10,000 but they gotta come back here. For just... Just because we heard your story and Ellen gives everybody money, you know. But for the first time, I know where these kids are coming back to. Mm -hmm. So that concerned me. Yeah. Because now they have a target on their back. Yeah. Now it's like... Because they don't... They drum on the street. They don't have money to move out of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. But now you get $10,000 on TV, people think you got money now. Yep. So you might not be able to go post up at the Baltimore Harbor and play your drums. Because now people looking for y'all... To see if they can see what's in your pockets, so that's my only concern. I want that these I want these two young men, Timothy and Malik, to stay safe and continue to pursue your your talent and cons- and take whatever opportunities come to get anywhere in the world that you want to go. But I do have a concern that they are um, they got a big exposure that didn't come with enough opportunity to change their lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's in this city. Oh yeah. It's, it's that's one of the worst things that could happen yep. when you're a rapper in this city and you get a big single, but you want, it's your first one. Now you're famous, mm. but you don't have the money to get out of the situation that you're in. And now you're a target. Yep. And we've, you know, it, it's taken some, some take, it's taken some people with a lot of potential in this city out forever. Mm-hmm. They've been killed. You know, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I hate to use the crabs in a bucket, like uh, analogy, but Baltimore is very much that is, is, it's not a lot of support in this city. It's a lot of hate in the city a lot of the times. Like the p- person that makes it out of the bucket, or not even out of the bucket, just starts to see the rim of the bucket. You, you're about to climb out of the bucket. You get 10 crabs on your legs trying to, they want you to take them out of the bucket too. 
but they weren't with you when you were climbing up the, to get to where you were on the bucket. But now they want something from you. And yeah. if you don't provide it to them, now you're an enemy and they'll just take it from you. Yeah. It's a, it's a, not to get off track here. It was a, it's a dude that, um, I'm not gonna say his name on here. I went to, I went to high school with, mm -hmm. and he's, he has some music out. He's like one of Baltimore's top rap artists. Mm -hmm. And he's, he gets some labels out wanting to sign him. Yeah. And then now he's accused of like, conspiracy i mean like he's now he's like you know putting a bounty out of yeah him. yeah so it was like i mean i don't know if it's true or not but right, i mean right, right. Like, come on man. you got you got to know you got to know when it's time to turn your back on that life yeah. and pursue the pursue your opportunity that can take you it's it's hard to keep one foot in and, and, and one foot out of that yeah. kind of life and i'm not saying that timothy and malik are involved in anything like that from what i know these are just two pos positive young men mm. doing something nice with their life and i hope that that's the case but I'm afraid for them that their positivity could get snuffed out by somebody who's just saw them get handed a big stack of money on yep. television, yep. but they have to go back to their regular life. It's haters, man. You know, so just, you know, Timothy, Malik, I, I have nothing but support and love for what you guys do. I think it's super positive. As a matter of fact, like they, when I saw them, I went, man, I haven't been to the Inner Harbor in a while. Like I might try to go down and, and, and check them out and see if I can catch them one day. They say they're down there on Saturdays and, and I might, you know, they gave me a, they gave me kind of like this, uh, this re. I got reinvigorated to go down to the Inner Harbor because I have no, I've had no reason to go down in a while. You know, like the some cool museums down there, kind of, but it's not, it's not. I I'm, not, love, I'm, I'm I, an adult. It's not as fun as it was when I was 15. Yeah, I would know? love to see them, but I'm not going down there. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> hey man, don't don't disrespect. Don't disrespect, I'm sorry. Don't, don't disrespect my city like I'm that, sorry, man. You can't. Man. Don't don't do that, I'm man. Sorry. But um, no. But <laughs> shout out to Malik and shout out to Timothy. Um. A1 Chops, yeah, A1 Chops, look them up on YouTube, look them up on Instagram, they're extremely talented, and that was just my good vibes this week, I, I love to see people from our city doing positive things and, and, and making it, I love to see yeah. people from my city just not only making it, but making it for something good, you know, not, not becoming famous for a murder, or becoming famous for some kind of crazy drug case, or you're a legendary drug dealer, like, two dudes who are amazing at music um but yeah that was our good vibe segment what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back it's gonna be time to talk about some fucked up shit uh this week i go first yeah but oh. um i'm gonna send us off Ouch. to hmm i'm gonna send us off to glamorous by fergie stacy Ferguson. I know she had a little mix up with that NBA uh, national anthem thing last year, but Fergie's got hits, man, and we need to start putting some respect on Fergie's name because that was in the finals. It was the All Star game. Damn, was that long ago? Yeah, it was the All Star game. Uh, not her shiniest moment, but Fergie's got hits, and when these hits come on, you dance to them. So show Fergie some respect. Nobody said Fergie was Beyonce. I don't know why. I don't know who called Fergie to do a, a live singing performance. If I was Fergie's manager, I would have definitely swiftly declined that offer. Uh, I've never considered a Fergie a vocalist. I don't know who told her to do that, um, but we're going to move past that. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to, you know, get glamorous, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some fucked up shit. So stay tuned. Change by the devil's Oh, I was in 
All right, folks, and we are back. Uh, just in case this has not been made clear, today is September the 30th, right, friend? It's the last day of September, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So submissions will be done for the uh, for the sticker contest as of tomorrow when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this right now, no more submissions will be taken. We still would love to see the photos if you guys still want to go and put your stickers out there. That's great. But you will no longer be eligible to win the competition. We got some. This competition went from 0 to 100 real quick, folks. Okay? It started off, it kind of was pretty clear who was going to win. I'm not going to say any names because there weren't any submissions. And then it just went left in in the best way. So we have plenty of submissions to choose from. Me and Fran will deliberate on, you know, who will win the serial killer spoon and the uh, serial killer trading card game. Well, mine would be easy, so. Well, we're not going to say what okay. it would be uh, all right. at all. In, in no, bi- no biases. We won't even put any hints out. Shut up, Siri. You ever just be talking in your phone and Siri just be like, did you say something to me? I got Siri cut off. Oh, I'm, I should do that. <laughs> anyway, Fran, it's, it's your week to go first. I'm sorry that Siri interrupted you. Please, the floor is yours. Okay. My affirmative murder this week is Dana Sue Gray. Have you heard of her before? No. Okay, cool. So Dana Sue Gray was born Dana Sue Armburst. Okay. On December 6, 1957. In Southern California, to Beverly and Beverly and Russell Armbers. Okay. Russell worked as a hairdresser and had three previous marriages before marrying Beverly. No judgments there. Who was for, who was a former beauty queen? I don't know what she looked like. She must have been bad. Beverly, his wife. Yeah. They had several miscarriages before Dana was born. Oh wow. Beverly was an aggressive, vain woman. Oh. They they divorced when her husband found. Her grappling with an older woman who had who had angered her. Dana Dana Sue was two years old at the time and afterwards rarely saw her father. Oh, Beverly was an aggressive, vain woman. Yeah, Beverly, yeah. She began acting out to get attention whenever Beverly would discipline her. Dana would retaliate by stealing money to buy candy and would occasionally fly into fits of violence. Mm. Well, like mother, like daughter, you know? Yeah. In school, she did not get along well with other students and did poorly in all her classes. She was suspended from school many times for forging notes to get out of class. I didn't know you can get expelled, uh, suspended for that. I used to do that all the time. With write fake notes? Write fake notes, you know, bathroom pass. <laughs> you know, you just get caught walking down the hallway. You're like, I'm supposed to be out here. See? Like some scribble on the bottom <laughs> of a teacher, you know? But I didn't know you could get expelled. I never got caught. I'm no. savage like that. I, I never did anything, anything like that. Well, you um, did a lot worse, man. We're not going to speak on that. Yeah, uh, all right, well, go, go, continue Dana- with your story then. Don't, don't, look, don't look down upon me with judgment because we can go there. When Dana was 14, her mother developed breast cancer. Mm. Gray, Gray, sorry, Gray decided to become a nurse after watching hospital nurses treat her mother. After her mother's death, Gray moved with her father but was forced to leave after her stepmother found drugs in her room. Mm. A few years later, she became involved with a skydiving instructor who got her pregnant twice, but he convinced her to terminate both pregnancies Something she resented. Damn. Well, you shouldn't have a kid with a skydiving instructor. Instructor, anyway. He could die any day. <laughs> and then you left with you left with very you know, extreme lifestyle. Yeah, that's, that's just it's just not conducive to raising a family. Like, oh yeah, um, I had a kid with a guy who jumps out of planes every day, mm-hmm. and some one day the parachute could not open. 
He's probably a douche, so. Yeah, I mean, you don't just go do skydiving and you're not a fuckboy. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's like, it's like DJ, skydiving instructor, uh, and you do some kind of MMA. Yeah. You're a fuckboy. Yeah. I don't care if you're the nicest person. <laughs> you just, you're around too many, too much testosterone yep. and, and fuckboyness to not also be some kind of fuckboy. <laughs> a DJ. <laughs> oh, DJ's number one. If you, if, if, if Sophia ever comes home and she tells you that her boyfriend is named DJ something or his name is like Agua or some kind of thing like that, mm-hmm. and he, his, a DJ, make her break up with that person because he is a, he's going to ruin her life. <laughs> DJs are And awful. that would ruin his life. Yeah. DJs, he may DJs, not have a life. Yeah. DJs something. are awful people, man. DJs are, DJs are awful. So Dana graduated from Newport Harbor High School in 1976. She lived with her skydiving instructor, Rob. For the next several years, he for the next several years, and he helped her with nursing school. She became an expert skydiver. I mean, <laughs> that's what happens in relationships, man. Yeah. <laughs> now she's a fuck girl. Yeah. You know, she's been molding in his light. Rob, of course, his name's Rob, and now she's like, yeah, <laughs> man, skydiving. Fuck that. In 1981, she graduated from nursing school, and for the next few years, had an on ongoing and offgoing relationship with Chris Dotson. Who was? Can you guess? That's uh, that name sounds familiar. I don't know. Dotson, Chris Dotson. Is he in music? No, he's a windsurfer. Just like, <laughs> dude, you get the best barrels ever, dude. Just like you pull in and you just get spit right out of them. And you just drop in and just smack the lip, whoop, drop down, snap, and then after that, you just drop in, just ride the barrel and get pitted, so pitted like that. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is a super California story. Yeah. Like, yeah, like all, all kind of weird sports that are involved, like water, yep. like in, in things that you need to be in like beautiful locations for a skydiver and a windsurfer. Yeah. A professional is a professional. Windsurfer. I, I would, I would assume so. Yeah. I feel like a professional windsurfer is similar to being a podcaster. Like most of the stuff you get is shit that like you can't pay your bills. I'm like, yeah, man, I got a sponsorship from Blue Apron. Like, <laughs> like, all right, get some some food, something. Like, yeah, I got all the free Billabong clothes I want. It's like that's right, that's man. just like one of those, that's just one of those things where you do because you love it. Yeah, it's not about the money. It's just yeah. I love doing this. But every if some day, free so. stuff come from you, get a free windsurfing board. It's like cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Dana excelled in windsurfing and golf, and he took trips to Hawaii participate to participate in these activities. In October 1987. Dana married a man named Tom Gray. What did he do? Was he like a fucking a boogie boarder or something like that? Oh, no, I don't say. <laughs> Tom Gray um, at an upscale winery in Tomosa, in the Tomosa area. She lived a very lavish life. Man. I think I'm saying that wrong. But anyway, he was a fellow sports enthusiast who had known and admired her since high school. Not long after their marriage, Dana inquired a large amount of depth. Depth, sorry. At this time, she did not have much contact with her family due to a dis- dispute over an aunt's will. <clears throat> she's just she's she's money hungry. Yeah, man. I hate I just hate stories like that. That I had a similar experience with that in my family like that, Don't fight over like people's stuff, man. Like don't let somebody die and tear your family apart. Yeah. It's just that's rough. Yeah. Um she was a labor and delivery nurse at Inland Valley Regional Medical Center. They lived at, in the gated community of Canyon Lake where they had several business ventures under the name Gray Matter. Oh, I like that name. That's, I like it too. That's nice. hot. <laughs> okay. Uh, Gray left her husband in early 1993 and moved in with their friend and her lover, Jim Wilkins. 
and his young son, Jason. In June 1993, she filed for divorce from Gray, though this was not finalized until after Dana had been in jail for quite some time. Oh, okay. Yeah. In September 1993, she and Gray filed for bankruptcy to save all foreclosure on the Canyon Lake house, which Canyon Lake it's beautiful. Like I've seen the pictures of like it's beautiful a gay area. community. Huh? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got the big palm tree. Oh. Yeah, probably Be- a golf course beautiful on the weather. On the oh my I wish. Gray matter. And then they had businesses inside of the property or or they just also they just have businesses. They ha- they had businesses together. Yeah, businesses under Gray together. Matter. Yeah. Probably just in that area though. Yeah. Where they live. That name is fire. I like though. it, yeah. Although the value of the house had greatly increased since they purchased it, they owed much more on the house mm. than it is worth. On November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety three she was fired from the hospital where she worked for misappropriating Demerol and other opioid, opiate painkillers. Oh, oh, she was selling, selling drugs on the street? Or she was giving them... I think she was... No, I think she was probably like... Taking... Maybe selling them or maybe mis, misuse of like giving them too much or something like that. Mm. On February 14th, 1994, Dana sent word through Gray's parents because Gray kept his phone number and address hidden from her. Smart man. That she wanted to meet with her Exchanged husband. Gray initially agreed, but did not show up. Later that day, Dana mur- murdered Norma Davis, an elderly lady whose home Dana had shared for for some time. Gray later found found out that Dana had taken out an insurance policy on him. The policy would have paid off the Canyon Lake house in the event of Gray's death. So she was coming to meet up with him to kill him. Possibly. But then ended up killing this old lady that she was living with? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Uh... Like out of rage, you think, or like she uh, just she just got so fired up to kill somebody that day that when he didn't show up, she just had to direct it. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, what other reason would she didn't get? No that's probably why he didn't him. go. Like, what what do we have to talk about? Yeah, I, you you <laughs> left, you cheated on me, you left me, you ruined our businesses, right. we are bankrupt. Yes, I don't want to get back together with you, and I don't have anything yeah. to talk to you about. We divorced. You've been to prison. Yeah, I mean, like, I would think so. So, um... I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Yeah. So she probably was like, well, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, you're right, you're right. Because I just, I just remember what I said that he found out. Because he didn't know that he she put out a life insurance policy on him. Yeah, yeah he just was yeah, like, right. no, I don't need yeah. to... Why would I come meet up with you? So Norman Davis, who was 86 years old. I mean... Wow. Again... I hate just <laughs> stories of, like, killing old people because... Like, how, how much effort did it take? What was the reason? You know what I mean? Especially if for, she was your grandmother. I mean, not even this. But based on her thoughts, mm-hmm. if that was your grandmother and you knew she had some kind of life insurance policy and you would get money if she died, sure, I understand if I'm in your brain. But just killing a lady that's, like, letting you live in her house, you get nothing out of it? Like, that's crazy. You, also, if the person, maybe she needed assistance. I mean, like, why... It's, that's not. I'm sure that's easy for you to kill an old woman that needs it. She yeah. already needs assistance doing just, daily just stuff in life. Don't do the things that you assist right. her with, and she'll probably just die some, in some kind of way. Don't give her her medicine. I just, I just don't like stories of people killing old people, man. It's just not yeah. cool. Also, to kill them in like very like gruesome type of ways. What'd like, you do? Well, I'm gonna get to that. Oh, okay. Um, Norman Davis, who was 86, is thought to be Gray's first victim because of the lack of evidence. However, Gray was never convicted of killing her. Norma was the mother-in-law of the woman, Jerry Davis, who married Dana's father in 1988. Mm. 
Jerry's first husband, Bill Davis, was Norma's son. Um, so Bill died in the early 1980s, and his widow eventually married Dana's father, Russell Umbers. Mm. Jerry continued to care for her elderly mother-in-law even after she remarried. Dana knew Norma very well. On February 16, 1994, Norma Davis had been, had been dead for two days when she was found by her neighbor, Alice Williams. Davis had a had a wood handle wood handle utility knife sticking out of her neck, mm. and a fillet, and a what is it fillet fillet knife mm. sticking out of her chest. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Other that's, than that's overkill on an eighty year old person. I mean, that's overkill on anybody, but that's crazy, man. I couldn't. Uh, that would be rough if I was Alice Williams. To come and see that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Then, then it's two days later, so it smelled off. Oh. All the blood had drained out of her, so she definitely was just very discolored. Yeah, that was, that's a very tough crime scene to come across. Yeah. So other than a broken fingernail, she had no other marks. A bloody Afghan laid at her feet, covered in blood. Detectives learned that there was no forced entry into the house. So this person, they, they know that she must have let this person in or yeah. she was already standing so detectives were informed that she was she always kept her door locked unless she was expecting a visitor. Uh-huh. Williams stated she could never she could not remember Davis mentioning she was expecting company. So it had to be the person that's always there. Yeah. Detectives found a Nike shoe print a Nike shoe print pointed toward the kitchen. They also found Davis $148 social security check on the first floor of Davis's condo and smeared blood was found on the on an armchair. And a ripped out phone call was also found. So she probably tried to call the police or something. Well, I think she probably ripped it out before because another one of the victims, she ripped the court out before she killed oh. this person. June Roberts, who was 66, was killed on February 28, 1994. June Roberts, like Norma Davis, lived in a gated community of Canyon Lake. Gray had visited Roberts one day claiming she wanted to borrow a book about controlling a drinking problem. Oh. Super random. Roberts... Let Gray enter her house. While Roberts searched for the book, Gray Gray unplugged Roberts' phone phone cord. Okay. Both the straight cord and the curly cord. She then used the curly cord to strangle Roberts. I remember the curly cord. Yeah. When Roberts was dead, Gray rifled through her credit cards, stealing two. An hour later, Gray went on a massive shopping spree at an upscale shopping center in California. What did you? What do you buy after you kill a sixty-six-year-old woman? Like, what do you like? Let's, all right, now it's time to go to the Versace store. Yeah, like, I that's mean, crazy. she already showed signs of that when she was young, when she stole my stole money from her mom. This is true, candy and shit. <clears throat> yeah, this is true. But st- I mean, then she tried to get her husband. That didn't work out. Then she killed Norma Davis. I guess I'm. I'd, I would assume she took her credit cards too. Maybe if she had credit cards, she was eighty-six uh-huh. years old. She, she didn't, didn't take, take the check. That's right. Checking. She didn't take the check, so I don't know. <clears throat> so on March 16, 1994, Gray killed Dora B. Dora Beeb, who was 87. <sighs> yeah. A few minutes. A few minutes after Beeb came home from a doctor's appointment, Gray pulled up in front of Beeb's house. Gray knocked on Beeb's door and asked Beeb for directions. Beeb invited Gray inside to look at him. Now, that sucks when. I guess you could say put trust in a person. Yeah. Like, 
you know, you need some help? Okay, just step in. I mean, I let the pizza guy in my house the other day because it was raining outside. In the house? Yeah. You fool. <laughs> you fool. It was raining outside. How this is? Well, how many? What episode is this, man? This is like episode fifty-two or something. Yeah, man. Are you letting people in your house that you don't know? And you came at me. It was pouring down you, raining. You came at me because I use Grubhub. I don't know if I just hey. want people coming to my house, man, knocking on my door with food. You let no, them in no, the house? No, I got on you because of that. I don't trust random people with my food that doesn't work at the oh, place. Oh, is the guy? Is the guy? Because oh, because you because he worked at the pizza place. He, you know him now. I let him in because it was pouring down raining outside. Oh, I was just being a nice person. Nah, man, you fool. Always be on the lookout. I'm like, hey, man, hold up. Let's just get this transaction done really quick so you can get back in your car. Well, I let him in. It was pouring down raining outside. Uh-huh. I let I him mean, in I right, you, right behind the door. Right behind the door. I had my puppy behind me. You so he, closed the door? It was a sc- the screen door. Uh, my puppy was behind me, so it wasn't nothing gonna happen. Okay. So right. you know, I, I, I was I was safe. You know, okay, man. You fool. But again, yeah. But again, I I, sh- I shouldn't have did that. But you know, but these people, you know, let people in their house, trying to be helpful, and then yeah, directions. They fucking knock you your can head get off. directions from where you're right there. I mean, you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to come in my house. Matter of fact, I'll close the door. I'll write it down, and then I'll come hand you a piece of paper. You and you can go. If anybody comes to your house asking for directions in 2018, they are a murderer. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Do not let them in your house. Yeah. I mean... Who needs directions in 2018? I'm like, excuse me? Google it. You don't have a phone? Oh, you don't have a phone? Then you're... Oh, you're lying. You're you're a killer. (laughs) I would laugh. I would, like, be in the window giggling. (laughs) You want what? (laughs) Man, nice try. Maybe try next door. Maybe... maybe Take that shit across the street. Maybe they're dumb. Maybe they're dumb. Uh, uh, So, yeah. So, she invited Gray inside to look at the map. Once inside, Gray attacked and killed. And ki- I'm gonna call it Door. A Door is the first name. I don't like okay. her last name. Beeb. Yeah, attacked and killed and killed Door. Door was found later that day by her boyfriend of eight years. A boyfriend? You said she was 87. Yeah. <laughs> Get it in. Get it in. That's not how this story's supposed to end, man. Door was living in her golden age. Yeah. Had a had a man. And who a was nice, coming to coming to see her in a nice neighborhood. Had, had a man who was coming to see her on the reg. And she's 87 years old. 87-year-old obituary is supposed to read that they got murdered. No. You're supposed to die peacefully in your sleep. You you live that long of a life and yep. make it through all that. That's a damn shame. Yeah, so Dora was found later by her, later that day by her boyfriend of eight years, Louis Dorman. Lou. An hour later, Gray, what do you think she did? Went on a shopping spree. Took the credit cards to go on another shopping spree. Of course. Fucking weird, is it 94? Probably had, you know, some fucking, some kind of fucking, 94, I don't know, fucking, I don't know any music from 1994, but it was some great uh, shopping spree music. Yeah, I was. And she's in California. Bags and sunglasses on, she's doing montages. She got the drought top. Yeah, spinning around in the mirror with her clothes, even though she has thoughts of murder in the back of her mind. She just murdered an 87-year-old woman. Just like, um, I'll take this in a gray. Charge it. But again, Come like, in. how do you? You I have mean, no conscious. You have no conscious. That's crazy. You have no conscious. If you can do that, you have no conscious. You have no conscious. Mm. I've gotten, I've been in relationships at younger ages and gotten into arguments and tried to be like, man, fuck this, man. Let's go out and can't even fucking. I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna go call her, man. Yeah, I, like that wasn't cool. <laughs> Imagine if you murdered a person and you're just like, whatever. Shopping, like that's crazy. You're crazy. She's dead. I'm alive. Charge yeah. it. Yeah, like <laughs> just that. I don't know. That's that's wild. Um. So Gray attacked. So Dorinda Hawkins. Mm-hmm. 
Gray attacked Hawkins on March 10, 1994 at her job at an antique store. Hawkins had been working alone like this. This wasn't even worth it. This is She must have been desperate. But Hawkins had been working alone that day. Gray came in to buy a picture frame for a photo of her deceased mother. Gray strangled her with the telephone cord. Gray took $5 from Hawkins' purse, $20 from the cashier register. An hour later, Gray went on another shopping spree using Robert's credit card. Hawkins had survived the assault, however, and was able to give detectives, detective a description of Gray. The next day, the story was in the newspaper. But you know something? Like, I don't know what happened in that, uh, in the store, but based on her history with her mom, mm-hmm. going in there for the picture frame, it was probably already, like, she was probably on, like, you know, tents, just because of what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And that woman could have said anything about the picture or were you close with your mom or, you know, yeah. oh, how'd she die? And yep. it just, you know, don't ask me quite, you know, like it could just, you know, that could be a trigger for some people, you know, because she obviously had a weird relationship with her mom. Again, I mean, is she like, is she carrying around the phone cord or like? Oh, she strangled her with a phone cord. Yeah. Oh, you know, everybody had phone cords in the 90s. I mean, but I mean, like how long? I would be like, what are you doing? What do you mean? When she just pulled the phone cord? Phone cord. Like, what are you? What are you? Doing? I'm sure. She, I'm sure she had to be slick because you get a phone cord, you gotta catch somebody not looking. That's you what know, I they're mean. back to you. She probably was like, you know, the store phone saw the curly cord and was like, but you know, you unplug it from the phone base, then you plug, plug it from the wall. I think that's wrap it, wrap it around your hands, and then just like, oh, what's that? Is that a frame on the? Is that for sale? And then she looks, and then you get her. You know, garroted, bang, get her around the neck, and then you you're strangling her out. You know? I don't know. I just think that takes way too long to be in the store. I think it's like connected all under stuff. I don't think I don't believe she's strong enough to just pull it and just snatch it from yeah. wherever it is. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, we don't know how strong yeah, she is. That's true. Crazy strength is a different type of strength. Yeah. And she used to show fits of rage when she was a kid. These are the same fits of rages, but now she's killing people. So maybe she's in a fit, fits of rage. She can just snatch, you know, because cords used to be like 100 feet long. Yeah. So maybe she just can snatch so hard it snatches out of the wall. That's insane. You know, I don't, I don't know. That's but insane. this is her clearly her mo. Phone cord, the phone cord slayer. You know, yeah. that's what they should call it. <clears throat> so many of the residents of the Canyon Lake were terrified. Some moved in with loved ones until the murders were solved. A group of elderly widows began began sleeping in big groups at a design at design houses at designated houses. I mean, that's um. I wonder how that phone call went. I would love to hear that. Phone what happened call. again? These so, the residents in Canyon Lake. Uh huh. These elderly widowed women yeah. found out about the murders, and they was like, you know, think we should get together and sleep at a house. They just all slept together. They believed they believed in numbers. Yeah, <laughs> that phone call probably took like two hours. Talk about all a kinds bunch of, of shit old women before, on the phone yeah. with one goal. They all never got to that goal until the end. Well, my grandson came over today. Oh, which one? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, he's dating this girl now. Mm. She's Jewish, but you know, she's nice though. You know, yeah. the old lady say some shit, some crazy racist, racist shit, racist but like shit. say like, but she's nice, as if like Jewish people aren't nice mm-hmm. or like, yeah, I think she's Hispanic, but like, you know, she's not. She doesn't have a lot of hair on her body. Mm. You're like, uh, what? Yeah, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, old people say yeah. some slick shit, man. Oh, I know firsthand. Oh, yeah, believe yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you do. Yeah, that you do. <laughs> Uh, so they believed that they were safe. They believed that there were safety in numbers. 
A few residents theorized the murders were committed by a cult who engaged in ritual sacrifices. That's a big leap. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just a murderer, man. They they're taking the money. I don't know. If that's the old, that was the old women's. That was the their. Old, that yeah, was their theory. most definitely. Yeah, I mean that's like that's not even close. No, not at all. <laughs> it's one person being they. It's a pretty typical a strangulation. Oh, I bet it was one of those devil worshippers. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I heard too. And then they all spread it, and then yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you then it trickles down when it gets to you, the young person, where it's like, uh, hey, Nana, hey, look, I just wanted to let you know, you know, it's devil worshippers out there killing people. You're like, oh, really? Oh, man, I got to look out for that. Yeah. And then you spread it. and it's like, Man, my grandmother called me uh, talking about some devil. Now everybody thinks this is yeah. a devil worshipper. Yeah. I'll start with your grandma. Too. Yeah, man, your grandma, that, that, she's the chain to the gossip. Like, she's the first link in the chain to gossip. Okay. So detectives had problems finding finding suspects early on. At one point, it was so hard to find a lead that the supervisor in charge recommended using a psychic. I can't believe that people knew she lived with Norma, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, I would believe so. Like, how? Why are they still looking for suspects? Is it because she's a woman? Know. It has to be because she's a woman. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Why wouldn't she be the first person that's? This should have been. She should have been caught. Yeah. That they had to be, they had to like not thought this was a woman, cause somebody knew she lived with Norma. That's crazy, man. Mm. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, so yeah, the supervisors in charge recommended using a psychic. Like they didn't have the supervisors of what the they police. Didn't, they didn't have anything. No lead. They didn't oh, have. Man. They used. <laughs> what year is this? This was in. Um, she killed Hawkins in 94, so I'm guessing... Like, yeah. No, she tried to kill Hawkins in 94, so I'm guessing around 94, 95, maybe, something like you're that. You're saying the the, 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 the the chiefs of the... Like, police people in charge of police... The detective? Detective, the supervisor in charge Said, recommended let's using just a call, Let's call Miss Cleo. Yes, basically, yes. Wow. That's, that's the laziest detective work I've ever heard in my life. That's super desperate. Because <laughs> that, that means that you have, in somewhere in your mind... You believe that that's real? Yeah, I mean, like, was the other detective looking at him like? Yeah, I'm like, call her what? <laughs> yeah, man, you know, call Miss Cleo. She says call her now, and she'll tell you your future. <laughs> so uh, we need help. This is future. Somebody could die in the future, man. I mean, like, who's funding this? Is he? Did he well, do it's, it it's like twenty nine cents a minute. So you know, we'll figure out it when we get to once we get to the end of the phone call. Depending on how much it costs. The, the the department might just reimburse us. He had to be fired. Keep your receipt of your phone bill and then bring it in and then they'll reimburse you for how much the phone call was. Yeah. A psychic. Wow. <laughs> so before Danny Gray was thought to be the real serial killer, detectives had few other suspects. Jerry Armbrose came came back up in the case. In the case of Norma Davis, Norma Davis, detectives suspected Jerry Armbrose might be the killer. I mean, why did he her go? Her dad, ahead? right? That's her dad, right? That's a that's a mother. That's a uh, her uh, stepdad. No, Jerry Ambers is the um. Dana was her mother in law. Yeah, was it Dana? No, Dana, Norma no, was her Norma was her mother in law. Yeah, Norma was her mother in law. Yeah. So so, I, the, wait, so Norma was the woman who said you got to get out because you use drugs. Or was that another wife? No, that's that's that was um, that yeah that, that was, was her wife. dad's. That was one of her other dads, you know. Hookups. Okay. Um, from talking to, from talking to Amber's detectives learned she used to be married to Davis' son. Mm-hmm. After Norma Davis' son died, Jerry continued to care for care for her former mother-in-law. When Jerry remarried, 
and it was Russell Armbers, Dana Gray's father, the connection to Norma Davis. Davis was in very poor health and was still recovering from triple bypass surgery. Detectives also speculated that Jerry Armbers had been in Davis Davis's house the Sunday prior to the murder. Jerry Armbers claimed she only stopped by Davis's house to drop off groceries and heard Davis's TV on upstairs, but did not go upstairs to say hello. Mm. She just left and went home. So detectives found an unusual found it unusual for Jerry Armbers to take care of someone who was not a blood relative. But I mean, I don't think that's that's not crazy. Crazy, yeah. yeah. Um, and she was wearing she was also wearing Nikes, mm. and they also wondered why she would not say hello when she went there. Yeah. After weeks of talking to Armbers and building a rapport, Detective Joseph Grenko, a lead investigator, realized she was not the person they were looking for. Grenko and Jerry became friends and began helping each other during the investigation. It was this relationship and trust which would be pivotal in solving this case. Mm. So lead Detective Joseph Grenko, Detective Joseph Grenko of the Paris Police Department led the murder investigation of Norma Davis and June Roberts. He graduated from Riverside County Sheriff's Academy as a pre-service student and ranked among the top 10 of his graduating class. So I'm guessing he wasn't the one that suggested the psychic. Oh, I would. He, I would seems this guy sounds pretty uh, smart. Yes. He was hired out of the academy by the Paris Police Department in 1988. Greco was highly decorated. Are you saying Paris? Paris. Like France? No. Paris, California? Yeah. All right. Big place. Didn't know they had a Paris in California. It's <laughs> oh, news to me. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so he was highly decorated and his tended. Okay, I skipped one. Okay, Greco was highly decorated in the field of rec- in the field and received numerous awards to include of the Medal of Valor for running into a plane to save victims of an accident in Paris Valley Airport. I mean, wow, shit, hero. It's like Bruce Fuck Willis that. or something. So Grinko was promoted to rank of corporal in 1992, assigned as an investigator working all major crimes and crimes against persons. The first victim, 87-year-old Norma Davis case in 1994, was only Grinko's second homicide investigation. Because the seriousness of the crimes and his lack of experience, Grinko initially questioned his ability to do an adequate investigation. I mean, I would be too. Yeah. I get that. Yeah but would eventually solve the case. Additionally, his youthful appearance made people question his ability to do the job. I mean, I get that all the time. Um, people question you about being a mailman? Yeah. Because you're young? You look so young. And yeah, I'm not supposed to work? It's a job. <laughs> you look too young <laughs> to be working. To, yeah. Get on my face. So Grinko suspected that, the, that Roberts and Davis was connected due to the evidence collected in the case and ultimately discovered it was the work of one female serial killer. I mean, I wouldn't think that's hard to figure that out. I don't. Th- I don't. I don't understand. Like this case is not that complicated. No. You know, the, the, for there to be cult things floating around and all this kind of stuff. That's crazy. They identified Sue Gray, Sue Dana Sue Gray, as a potential suspect and wrote a search warrant for her residence in Lake Elsinore, California. Ironically, on the day she was out killing her last victim, Dora B. Grantco arrested Dana Sue Gray at her front porch and took her into custody for the murder of June Roberts. Mm. So she was fresh off a shopping spree from a murder yes. of somebody else. Yes. And they probably didn't even know. No, I'm sure. That's crazy. She probably was like, damn. 
She's like, y'all caught me that fast? She's like, you're arrested for Dana. No, no, uh, Nora. She's like, oh, this isn't for Beeb? Who? Nothing. Ah, uh, yeah, no, take me. Take me into custody. Right. The search of Gray's home revealed vital information belonging not only to Roberts, but also to Beeb. And a surprise third victim, Dorinda Hawkins, who has survived her attack and later positively identified Gray through a photo lineup. Dorinda, yes, come through. Yep. Faced with mountain of strong circumstantial evidence in the case against her, along with the threat of the death penalty, Gray would eventually plead to life without possibility of parole and waived all... Gray would eventually plead to life without possibility of parole and waived all of her appellate rights. I don't, I just, I don't like that at all. What, that she, that you, you can, can appe- you can, you, you can, can, um, you can get a, a deal, plea out? Yeah, I mean, you can get sentenced to death. But it, but, but if no, you, conf- but it, if you confess before the trial, you save the, so you, you save, save all the court that to, oh, all okay. the time and everything like that, as opposed to trying to prove. And then sometimes if they can't, pr- they might not be able to prove all three. Oh, okay. So if you confess to all three, now all those people get closure, and they, and also it is a political thing because now all those police in the homicide unit get to close those three cases, and they don't get shelved as some unsolved murder. Oh, so God. everybody kind of wins in the court system. Yeah. It's like we get to close our three cases. This family gets closure. Uh, the court doesn't have to go to trial and get juries and all this kind of stuff. Spending money. Yeah, but... She needs to be dead. Oh, well, all right. Well, you know. Yeah, I get that. But that's the way the court's set up. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm saying that because I'm not in that situation. Maybe if I was in that situation, I'd be like... I would hope yep. that you would never be in a situation yep. where you're trying to plea out for three murders. But, <laughs> yeah, if you were, you'd want to be able to say... That's what I mean. That's yeah, if I mean. you were, you want to be able to say, look, well, I'll save you guys time, but if I do that... You, I'll just take life. I'll just take life in jail. Yeah. So, uh, she made one condition, however, and that was the, and that was that the state would not prosecute her for the murder of Norman Davis. Detective right. Joseph, yeah, Detective Joseph Granko worked for the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Um, station specialized. He specialized in elder abuse, sexual uh-huh. assault, and child abuse cases from 1998 to 2010. He was later promoted to the rank of surgeon in March 2010. As um, actually that part doesn't even matter. It it talks about him get his real estate license. I don't oh, know who gives fuck. a shit? Yeah, I, I mean, get, I'm glad you solved the case, but yeah. come on, man, this is know. not your opportunity to yeah, plug, to plug yourself. Who do they think they? I don't care about that shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> got his MBA. Call him, yeah, got his can, MBA. Yeah. Like I don't care. Yeah. Call him. He's he sells houses like no one's business. Like I don't don't put in a commercial for him. So, Gray was finally caught because her description was obtained from the various merchants in the California area, which was the stores that she went to with freak, with the the credit cards that wasn't hers. They didn't ask for two forms of ID? No. What was this? What, the 90s, 90s, right? Oh, yeah. Put it in the machine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, what happens after that? Do you know, do the the stores, they still... You know, get that money or like, do you what know you what happened? Oh, like, oh, once it once the transaction's complete, it. you, yeah, it's done. That probably falls on the credit lender, if anything, because what happens is you swipe your card, the credit lender pays the store, and then they take on the credit for you to pay them back. So, if you if you defrauded the credit card company, they're the ones that don't get their money because mm, now so. they have to pay back. They have to pay back the old lady. Well, not even she's dead. I don't know how that works. They probably, you know what's sad? They probably just get the. Cancel it out and just get to go. 
you know, oh well, nobody, we don't have to pay anybody back. That woman's debt is just, I don't know what happens to debt when you die, actually. Anybody out there, if you know what happens to your debt when you die, I would love to hear. Like, if Does you die with ten thousand worth of debt, you can't, you can't Does inherit to... debt. Can you yeah, inherit I mean that's debt? fucked up. Can I you, think, you I can. think, I think that's what happens, right? You can't inherit debt. I mean, if you inherit a house or something like that, that's one thing. But you know, that's fucked if up. If I die owing five thousand dollars on a credit card, my next of kin gets that in my will. No, I gotta. <laughs> there has to be something like it, it, you, yeah. it gets canceled out or something if you die. I don't know. If anybody, anybody listening. If you know what happens to debt when you die, I'd love to know the, to, the answer yeah, to that me too. because I know that the store already got their money, so they don't, they don't, they're not involved anymore. The credit lender is just out getting reimbursed now, if anything. Okay. So hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's weird. Crazy. I didn't even. I've never. I don't think I've ever thought of that before. Yeah. So Dana had been. Uh, Dana had been spending so much money that the credit card company called June Roberts' family to alert them of the massive spending. I mean, shit. What was the limit she had? She had a black card or something. I mean, she eighty something years of, of <laughs> building credit. She probably had one one nice credit, especially they're like in a nice area in California. Yeah, she might have had a black card or something with a high limit or something with no limit. Yeah, she might have. You gotta work hard to get a black card, man. Black card's no joke, man. So the detectives went, then went to all the stores where Gray used the credit cards and interviewed the cashiers, getting a physical description of Gray. They also learned that the killer had dyed her hair recently and had a little boy named Jason. Detective Grinko kept in touch with Jerry Umbers. He began providing a description of the killer to her on a visit to her home. Jerry would reveal to Grinko that the next day she believed the suspect to be her stepdaughter. Dana had just dyed her hair and had a boyfriend with a son named Jason. Detective Grinko wrote a search warrant for Gray's home and enlisted to and enlisted the help of the Allied Riverside County Narcotics Enforcement Team to stake out the Gray's home in Lake Eleanor. Now, when they did that, that's when they saw her coming from um, from Hawkins, I think. Beep, beep? No, from Hawkins. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah beep, I'm sorry, yeah. Coming from killing her. Unbeknownst to the team, Gray was murdering Dora, Beep, just hours before they began following her, trying to collect evidence. I mean, that's crazy. It's a lot of moving pieces here, man. And she's just thinking, I am buying some great things right now. Yes. And meanwhile, all the pieces are starting to come together yep. on her. That's pretty wild. So after seeing uh, Dana go to the like, bank. Did she think she was doing a good job? Like killing these people that they weren't going to. You got to really like, not be concerned about what no. is to come if you can go shopping. She wasn't you're hiding thinking, anything. Yeah, or... the bodies. She wasn't burying them or getting rid of the bodies, just leaving them in their house. She didn't make sure the lady at the at the antique store was dead. She just wanted to live that lifestyle. Wow, man. So after seeing Dana go to the bank with Beeb's uh, car and then going shopping, the detectives had enough information for Nexus involving Dora Beeb's murder. Later that day, Grinko arrested Dana while she was cooking dinner for her family. Detective Grinko took Dana into custody while assisting office- officers took her boyfriend and son down to the station for questioning. They probably didn't know what the fuck was. They probably didn't know shit. They're like, What? No, she just hits the lottery a lot. But yeah. she, they, you know, they fell for some lie she told him. Yep. She plays bingo. She wins bingo. She's very lucky at bingo. So Dan, so during questioning, Dana claimed she never took the credit cards. After detectives said they had evidence for her using them, Dana claimed she found both Roberts and Beeb's credit cards. She stuck with this story for hours. Like just found them outside. Yeah. 
I mean, Look, I'm, a, up dead I'm, a, yeah. I'm a thief, but I'm not a murderer. I mean, like, that's not a that's not a good lie. Right. Like, oh, so you found them and then you stole money from people? Yeah, I'm, I just steal money. I I found these cards and used them, but I'm not a murderer. You found two cards that happened to belong to two, two yeah. dead people. And you used them. <laughs> like, max them up. Yeah, well, you know, who wouldn't? A lot of people wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so she claimed the reason she kept the cards was she had an overwhelming need to shop. Oh, I'm a shop I'm a shopaholic. Yep. Confessions of a shopaholic. Yep. She also seemed to have no sympathy for the victims. Of course she did. Yeah. She doesn't have sympathy for anybody, I don't think. I don't I think she's like devoid of feelings and sympathy. You know? Yeah. So Detective Detective Chris attempted to obtain a confession after Detective Grinko's interview, but was unsuccessful. And Detective Grinko eventually booked Gray on charges of murder. At the hearing on July 23rd, Deputy DA Richard Bentley requested the death penalty. Gray pleaded insanity on all counts. Of course. After a witness claimed to have seen Gray at Robert's house the day of her death. Gray charged, Gray changed her plea to guilty of robbery and murder, two women and attempting to murder another. By pleading guilty, Gray avoided the death penalty. After, uh... On October 16, 1998, Dana Sue Gray was sentenced to life without parole and was incarcerated at the California Women's Prison in Chow... Chowchilla? Chowchilla? <laughs> I don't know. I can't see it, so I mean, I'm going to have to take your word for so it. So she was incarcerated in the California Women's Prison. Yeah, man. that's um. It's good to think that she took a plea because insanity would not have worked if she just took that to trial. I mean, she I mean, was, is she that was like, premeditated. Is that like a default thing? Everybody... Like, I mean, if it's crazy, if it's a if it if it looks crazy enough, any defense attorney is going to tell you you need to just plead insanity. Just try it. Just give it a shot, you know. But she definitely killed those it was premeditation. Like she killed those ladies with the intention of taking their money. So that's not that's not insane. Yeah. They also it says they said the case is featured on um, Lifetime Movie Network. Oh, this this of, looks pr- this a sounds 2015 prime. episode of Diabolical Women. Mm. So I guess if yeah, this sounds this sounds this this sounds prime for a lifetime movie. This is this is primo lifetime movie. Uh, it's got the the big houses and all that kind of stuff, the lavishness, and then but there's a dark undertone behind yeah. those big fancy doors and a bunch of like glamorous old women. Oh yeah, this is very lifetime movie. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. I'm at the I'm at the try to so find. So that's Dana that. Sue Gray. Dana Sue Gray. That was very um, the the web of connections was intricate and I don't fully understand it but I know there's a connection I, mean, so, yeah, it's I not know really... it's a connection but I, I know it's not important but I was trying to be like okay so if Nora is related to yeah. Dana I think it, it, they just happened to be like it wasn't like a like they wasn't related I was trying but no I was trying to find a reason why Dana would be living with Nora and she was living with Nora cuz she knew her but then you explaining why she knew her was like oh cuz she was she was her stepmother right at one point Still don't know. No. All right, the mystery. That's what she was a nurse. I was just thinking maybe she was, you know, one of those nurse assistants. Like a live at lived, home, uh, yeah, at home that nurse. That lived there. Sure. And she just, Let's go with that. That'll 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 get rid of my. My husband don't want to see me. Well, yeah, my take it out on my you. wheel and my brains. It'll stop spinning. That that'll be what we go with. All right. So that was Dana Sue Gray. Yeah. Uh, former CEO of Gray Matters Industries. Yes. Name fire. I'm, we might have to try to steal that one. Um, so, yeah, so that was Dana Sue Gray. Good job, Fran. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's my turn to finish the show and tell you some fucked up shit. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Michael. 
host of the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast, which was nominated as one of the best British true crime podcasts of 2018, is based on my five-star rated guided walk and features more than 300 untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within one square mile of London's West End. So if you love hearing about new cases for the first time, old cases through a fresh pair of ears, and classic cases with a twist, all researched using the original declassified police investigation files, written using first-hand accounts, and recorded using authentic sounds from the murder location itself, then Murder Mile is just for you. Download the Murder Mile True Crime podcast on iTunes, Acast, or your favourite podcast platform every Thursday. Thank you for listening, and stay safe. All right, and we are back. Fran, are you ready for my affirmative murder this week? Yes. All right, my affirmative murder this week is the story of Dale Chanette, also known as the bathtub killer. Dale Chanette. Dale Chanette. <clears throat> he looks harmless enough. Google his name and you'll see a man with an earnest, slightly nerdy face. He wasn't an imposing figure, standing a mere five foot nine, which I didn't like when I read this because I'm like five, eight and some change. Mm. So don't say mere before you say something around my height. Okay. <laughs> it's not short. It's pretty average. I would think so. So watch your mouth. All that, you know, uh, women like, oh, I like a man that's six. Fo- Who the hell is six four? Get real. Yeah, he was five foot nine with a slender build. Anyway, I'll get back to my story. He's five foot nine with a slender build. He had no criminal record and he held down a job. In the mid nineteen nineties, he was working at an office job and living in Arlington, Texas. But he had done warehouse jobs and sometimes he drove a forklift. He was the sort of man you might notice or you might not. There was nothing that stood out about him. But in nineteen ninety six and again in nineteen ninety nine. He caused waves of panic for women in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because Dale Devon Chanette was a serial rapist and a brutal killer. Mm. 25-year-old school teacher Christine Vu lived with her fiancé, Tang Ku, at, uh, at the Peachtree Apartments in Arlington. On Tuesday, September 17, 1996, Ku got off work early and came home. When he arrived at the door to their apartment, he was surprised to find it not only locked, but deadbolted from the inside. What? He saw that when he went. When he got to the door to go home. And it wasn't budging. It was locked, but also it was deadbolted, so he couldn't get in. So he oh, went, so he could see that from the outside. Well, he unlocked it, and then when he went to open it, it was the thing. Oh, the dead, okay, that's what I mean. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. Thinking Christine might be in the bathroom, he went outside, smoked a cigarette, and then came back, only to find the door still locked. He went to a payphone. because, you know, the 90s. He went to a payphone and called, but there was no answer. He came back to try one more time, but found the door unlocked. He went inside where he discovered a scene from his worst nightmares. Christine was naked, face down in the bathtub. Her hands and feet were bound with duct tape, mm. with a strip of the tape connecting them down to her down her back as if she had been hogtied. Detective Ed Featherstone was assigned the case. Initially, he was very suspicious of Koo. After all, 
we know it's usually someone close to the victim. Ku was extremely cooperative, and DNA from semen recovered from Vu's body excluded him as the rapist and killer. In addition, police discovered a fingerprint off the deadlock bolt, off the off the deadbolt lock on the front door. Heartbreakingly, Tang Ku was most likely sitting outside smoking a cigarette while his fiance was being killed. Christine had been sexually assaulted, strangled, and drowned. The print on her door didn't match anyone who had a reason to be in Christine's apartment, leading police to conclude that they might have a rarity, a stranger killing on their hands. Within a few months, this will be confirmed. Wendy Prescott also lived in, at the Peachtree Apartments while she saved her money to go to beauty school. Wendy was expected at, Christmas Eve, at a Christmas Eve shopping trip with her family. Her family became concerned when she did not show up and didn't answer repeated calls. So her aunt and uncle went over to her, uh, her house to check on her. She was left exactly like Christine, naked, bound in duct tape, floating in her bathtub. And Detective Tommy Lenore was called to the scene, but it didn't take him more than a minute to know what he was seeing. The genesis of a serial killer. He immediately called Featherstone to tell him they had another one. Not only were the two women killed in an identical way, but the apartments had identical floor plans and decor. Then there was another piece of evidence that confirmed it if there was still any doubt. Once again, the killer left behind a, a print. This time in the dust on a TV stand. He also left behind DNA that would match back to Vu's rapist and killer. Police were hopeful that the prints or DNA would lead to a suspect. Surely the killer in the system... Surely there was a killer in the system. This couldn't have been their first crime. Christmas morning at the Peachtree Apartments was chaos. Word spread rapidly and all the single women were breaking their leases and moving out. Which, mm. uh, I mean, that makes sense. Like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. That's mm. shame on me. Two people in the same apartment complex getting murdered. Women. I'm a woman. Fuck this place. I don't Sue me. You know, whatever. Charge me for breaking the lease. Whatever. I'm out of here. Family members had descended, loading up cars with possessions. It made getting statements or canvassing potential witnesses extremely difficult. The evacuation also made it easy for the killer to move out without attracting attention. To the police's consternation, the DNA and prints led nowhere. They ran the fingerprints through AFIS, the American Fingerprint Identification System, and were surprised to get no hits. For months, police pursued promising suspects, obtaining DNA samples that they hoped would lead to a resolution. But again and again, they got no match. They did clear over 200 suspects. They held their breath, wondering when he would strike again, but nothing. Gradually, they began to breathe again. What had happened to him? Perhaps he had moved away. Perhaps he had died. Whatever the reason was, he seemed to be gone. On February 23, 1999, 22-year-old Chima Benson was a senior at UTA. That's the University of Texas in Arlington. On that night, she went to sleep at the AKA sorority house. She awoke with a man on top of her. He put a gun to her head and told her, do what I say and I won't kill you. He raped her orally. Chima wasn't the sort to give up easily and she bit him. Hard enough that he would forever carry a scar. 
Unfortunately, this enraged him and he beat her so severely that she would need two facial surgeries to repair the damage. He raped her and left her naked, incapacitated and bloody on the floor of her bedroom. Police got a DNA sample from the semen and one more clue. He wasn't wearing a mask. Chima got a good look at his face. She has been outspoken about her ordeal, even discussing it while she was on the Big Brother TV show. I don't know what season she was on because there's like 24 seasons of Big Brother, but Mm -hmm. this woman, Chima Benson, was on a season of Big Brother. So she has some kind of notoriety in some kind of way. She now works as a TV host. Detective Lenore soon received a tip. He heard from Wendy Prescott's best friend and the last person to see her alive that until recently, she lived in the AKA sorority house as well, in the very same room that that was now Chima Benson's. She said, that should have been me. She believed the killer might be her ex-boyfriend who had been stalking her. The tie between Peachtree and the AKA house couldn't be ignored. When the crime lab compared DNA of Chima's attacker with that of the bathtub killer, it was a match. He was back. They were hopeful when comparing it to the boyfriend that the case would finally be solved, but he was excluded. The killer was still at large, but at least they now had a physical description of the man as well as his fresh injury. They went back and began checking the DNA against other sexual assaults. They got another hit, a sexual assault from Grand Prairie. Grand Prairie, I'm sorry. Then another. It's unusual for a killer to de-escalate from murder to rape instead of the reverse, but the bathtub killer had done just that. Forensics would tie him to five rapes following the two murders. The killer had morphed into a serial rapist. So he had a scar on his dick? Yeah, the scar on his dick because she oh, bit his dick. Right. Which... Off? No. Oh. She bit it pretty severely, though, that it left a scar. Oh. Shout out to her because that's, that's a survivor. You know? I mean, I don't know if I could just bite a dick. You know what oh. I mean? Like... All right. I mean, if I'm in that scenario where somebody's making it... If somebody put a gun to your head and tell them to suck your dick... Hey... I'm trying to survive. I'm going out. You're just going to die. Yep. You got a kid and a girl, and you just, that's just, you're not going to fight for your life? Nah. Your life don't mean that much to you. Well, my life means oh, the world to me. Nope. I'm going to get this mouth wet, and, you know, he will, uh, Lost uh, he will satisfy, he will be satisfied and let me go. Lost and then maybe then, after I've, I've satisfied him to the point that he is now in a, in a haze. Whoa. Cause head game crazy. Whoa. He's Where now is this ha- going. I'm, I'm letting you know. No. Now he's now he's in a haze and he can't even focus. Then I strike. Then 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 I turn the tables on him. Yeah, man. I, I'm a survivor, man. Yeah, you just don't value your life enough. I do. Nope. I'm gonna give him top until his eyes roll back and now he can't focus anymore. Wow. Now I judo flip him. Now give me the gut. Now you're on the ground. Police are coming. Lost me. You now the tables have turned. Nope. And I don't want to talk about that anymore. But back to the first murder. Uh-huh. So he was there the whole time he came back. That's why I said it was weird because he was there the whole time when he came to the door twice. He locked the door. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was in there killing her. I mean, like, he probably was just, like, looking around. Oh, oh man, I just couldn't. Who, the, the guy, the boy, the fiance? I mean, yeah, but I mean, like, for him to just, after, to come to find out when he finally gets in, like, uh-huh. He was here the whole time, and I couldn't. It's nothing I could do. I feel like in that moment, that's not where your head goes. Because at first, you're like, 
you, you know, cussing I'm talking about, I'm talking about when he gets, when he gets in there, when he gets in. But I'm saying you don't immediately go to oh. guilt of like, he was in here while I was going downstairs. And, and, and I don't think your head goes there first. You mm. go, you're immediately like, oh my God, she's dead. But, uh, you know, because you, you're just coming off of this, like, God, she gets on my fucking nerves. I told her about locking the. You're, you're, that's, nobody's thinking of something bad mm. in that moment where the, the door is locked. You know what I mean? Now, when you go in, it's shock. I think that probably set in later, but I don't think, right, as soon as that happened, he's like, I should have tried to kick the door down, and he was in here the whole time. No, and, I ain't uh, talking about when he first seen the body. I'm talking about at some point, he probably was like, he was oh, here yeah, the definitely. whole time when yeah, I came back and forth That to definitely the... came to him eventually. Yeah, for Damn, sure. Yeah, that, I mean, mm, that, yeah, it's just, that that's, just, that's just what it was. That's that just what happened, up. you know? Mm. <clears> but, <throat> yeah, you lost me on that other shit. Damn. So you're telling me no, that you would not no. do what you needed to do to save no, your life? not doing it. You don't value your nope. life, man. Nope. You don't not value doing your life, it. man. I'm not doing it. Would you suck a dick for $5 million? Yeah. Your life isn't worth $5 million. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean, what? That's $5 million, bro. Your life? You're talking about your life. I know. That's crazy. I value my, my life is worth way more than $5 million. All right. <clears throat> anyway. $5 as mil. Life. <laughs> life, you know. Yeah, life is great, too. I got both, spend though. Five I got dollars. both. I'll have both. What? You got me there, I got a point? I, I don't? Do you not have a point about what? you? You got you both. Would... What? This is just... you're, you're saying that you don't value your life enough to suck a dick to survive, but you value money enough to suck a dick for money. I think I would do right, I would do both let's, is, is what I'm saying. Let's, okay, let's push. I love my life. Let's push Sophia and the family out But you it. can't, though. Just, but you can't, just, though. That's your no, life. But let's, you can't. Let's, that's no, your life, I want to do it that way, though. But you can't do it that way. That's your life. All that has to be you, Francel, or downtown Inner Harbor. You just got done seeing A1 Chops tear it up on some drums. Uh, You're walking to a parking garage. Somebody jumps out of the shadows and puts a gun to your head and tells you, suck my dick or I'm going to murder you. You got to think about your kid and your girl. You that has is you. Yeah. That's you. Yeah. Not some pre some made up scenario of you Fran without that stuff. Mm. That's what has to come <laughs> in to be in account when you're thinking about the scenario. I'm buying that joint off. They, uh, all right, but that's what I'm saying, but you you're going to at least <laughs> like disguise it like you're going to go along with it. You didn't disguise it that way. Hey man. Hey, First of all, listen, everybody's got techniques about how to get out of certain situations. There's a lot of different martial arts. There's karate. There's judo. That's not martial arts. Stuff. But I'm saying, like, your your version of karate is bite the dick off. My version of karate is I'm going to bring him to completion. Is this your man? Whose man's is this? Huh? And then when he's in a haze and not knowing what's going on, mm. that's when I strike. You bring him to completion, then you're ugly. Then he's going to kill you. First of all... Don't ever call me ugly. I don't know. Don't ever disrespect me like that, okay? I'm First, just number I'm one. I'm just saying when it comes to I'm couples, bad as hell. If I'm you look saying, up if you look down at your dick and you yeah. see me there, I'm just saying You should be happy. No. You are lucky. You're not listening to what I'm saying. When you come, now, when uh, now to, he got the haze comes off him. Now I'm ugly? No. When he comes to completion, then you're ugly after that. No. No. <laughs> not not me. No. No. How dare you? I'm gonna move on. That's disrespectful as hell. Disgusting you as treat hell. Treat me like I'm some kind of deuce. How dare you? As so often happens, it was an it was an advance in science that dropped the final puzzle piece into place. The FBI had a new AFI system, the IAFIS. This system could rotate prints and locate points of comparison where none had been matched before. The best latent print was the was the dust print from Wendy Prescott's TV stand. 
So Sergeant Gary Cohn submitted that print. Two weeks later, he had a result and a name. Dale Devon Chenette. Chenette had been recently arrested on a burglary charge. Crime scene officer Joel Stevenson examined the prints and confirmed they were a match. But what about the other print from Christine Vu's door? He compared, he compared those and again match. Excited, the two men took the information to the detectives. They had a suspect. Detective Lenore quickly checked the name against the case book. Dale Chenette had lived in the Peachtree Apartments during the murders. Nothing had ever stood out about him at the time. He had no criminal history. However, he hadn't volunteered uh, donated DNA, which every other man in that apartment complex did because it was like, yeah, man, whatever. I, don't care. I, I didn't kill anybody, but he right. was like, nah, man, I don't just give my DNA to anybody. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm moving out. So police quickly located Chanette still living in Arlington. He denied ever having been in the victim's apartments, but he couldn't answer as to why his prints would be in both locations. Once again, he refused to voluntarily give up DNA or to allow inspection of his penis for damage, which in, in his defense, if you brought me in for something that I said I didn't do and you're like, yo, whip your dick out. I'd be like, whoa, excuse me? You know, that's a wild question to ask a man. Yeah. You know, that's 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 a wild, like, yo, let me inspect your dick. Like, whoa, no. But knowing what we know about him, it uh it makes him it is suspicious for him. But mm-hmm. if I didn't know any of the stuff I just said and it was like, yeah, we brought him in for questioning and we wanted DNA from him and we wanted to see his dick. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't let you see my dick either, sir. So I don't know. But knowing what we know about him, of course he didn't want you to see his dick because he got bit. They got bit, and you would see the scar right. that you had. You know for a fact is there. Just like dangling, it's just like half off. Uh, I don't know if she bit it like that. I don't know if she <laughs> Lorena bobbitted him. I think she bit it. It opened, punctured in some uh, kind of way, and then healed. So he had probably had like a keloid dick. Pissed him off. Pissed who up? Him. Well, oh yeah, when she, when she bit his dick. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. He beat the shit out of her, man. But I mean, do what you gotta do. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. She was yeah. trying to survive, yeah. you know. Uh, so he refused. But however, police now had the evidence needed for a search warrant mm-hmm. to compel him. They found the scar on his penis, and the DNA matched. He was charged, indicted, and brought to trial in two thousand three. Good. On January eighth, two thousand three, the sentence was pronounced on Dale Devon Chanette. The rape victims all testified against him at the punishment phase. They told the jurors similar stories of rape, beatings, and sodomy. They were threatened should they ever come forward. After what they suffered and these threats, it's important to remember that these are only the known victims. It's entirely credible that others suffered at this man's hands but were too afraid to report the crime. This goes back to the conversation we were talking about earlier, you know? Uh, But again, in this case... Every woman, if there's women out there who never came forward, they have every right to, in 20 years, come forward and say, hey, he raped me too. You know, that's every, they have every right to come forward and tell their story. Um, so, yeah, uh, the women formed a tight bond during that trial. They supported one another through the grueling process and hugged and cried when the jury sentenced Jeanette to death by lethal injection. One of his victims, named Adrian Fields, has also been outspoken as a minister for sexual assault victims. And I actually want to play a clip 
uh, from an interview that she did with a news station because uh, I just she said some really beautiful words. So I just wanted to play that really quick. I had felt that somebody had been there. Adrian Fields remembers watching the news about the murders of Christine Vu and Wendy Prescott. The year was 1996. Adrian had a strange feeling wash over her. When I seen it on TV, I just had this just crazy feeling like I'm next. I just knew. I just knew it. I couldn't explain it. Vu and Prescott were murdered that year. They were strangled and left in their bathtubs at the Peachtree Apartments in Arlington. Many in the city were in fear. The news was so disturbing, Adrian moved out of Arlington to Grand Prairie. But I told my friends, I said, I'm moving because he's going to get me. I just had this crazy feeling that he was going to get me. On October 26, 1999, at 3 in the morning, her worst nightmare came to life. I hear, I turned over slowly, and as I turned over, here's this guy with a stocking on his head and running towards me. At the time, she didn't know it was this man, Dale Chenette, the same man who killed Christine Vu and Wendy Prescott. He said the devil keeps making him do it, and then he told me, he said, you're not like the others. And that's when I realized he'd done it before. She didn't know him, but he knew her. He knew my name. He, I'm like, oh my God, how does this guy know my name? That night, Jeanette raped Adrian for two hours. And I said, but Lord, please forgive me of all my sins. If I have to die tonight, Lord, I just want to go to heaven. Remarkably, Jeanette walked out of her apartment and never looked back. On the inside, I was a wreck. On the inside, I couldn't sleep at night. I was up all night. Check the window, check the door, go upstairs, go downstairs, check the back. She had no peace until police called her over a year later to say they had caught Dale Chanette. And I remember thinking, I'll finally sleep now. Chanette was executed on Adrian's birthday, February 10th, 2009. The day of my birth, he lost his life. So it's time for you to live again. This year, she started ministering and telling her story. You don't have to feel like you're alone. And you don't have to feel like life is over because of the things that happened to you. It may have taken her decades to heal. She is talking you know, now. That I'm stronger than I've ever been before in my life. She wants us to do one thing. <laughs> Listen. And those were just some lovely words from Adrian Fields. Uh, so she didn't even know him. No, I don't so think any she, of these women knew him. How she like just was like, oh, he's gonna. She saw it on the news, right? And she lived in the Arlington area, and she just got a weird feeling. She felt like she that's was next. Crazy, you know. That's wow. again. That's just a perspective as a man who hasn't been involved or feared for my life from seeing something like that. I've never seen something on the news and been like, I'm next. You know, I've never have that feeling i'm sure there's a lot of women who that, that's a weird that's a weird feeling to have to be have a strong enough inclination to move because she moved away right and he's like and, and that's crazy yeah that's insane so i mean that's that's nothing but that's god that's scary you know, shit. It, it, it didn't work but that's just god saying look hey so, be careful that's scary as shit. You know, and, and there was nothing she could have done. I mean, she was in her house asleep, and he, I guess, had swishy pants on. That part was weird to me. She said, yeah. she's like, shh, 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 shh. Yeah. But it was the 90s. I thought he was he, crawling or something. I don't know. But, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he found her, and, yeah. I um, mean, does that, like, 
disguise your. I don't. No, does that I mean even work? you can see through it. That's what I mean. So no, but that, but people were doing that in the nineties. That's what I'm. That's what I'm a, saying. That's like, a very nineties movie. Uh, disguise. I can I can see you. I can see your face, man. <laughs> I can see every detail of your face. Your nose, what your lips look like. Your eye, I can see. It's a horrible uh, mass decision, but <laughs> she um she just brought up some really good points in her interview. I, I like when she said, you know, the day he got executed on her birthday, which mm-hmm. is pretty crazy, and the day he died was the day it was like the day of her birth. So now she gets to live again. Yeah. And again, these all these are all conversations that go back to what we were talking about at the top of the show of like I don't know anything of what it's like to be a victim of sexual assault. But this woman was afraid for her life until she knew that this man was caught. Yeah. You know? So I completely understand, you know, um, how somebody could just want that event to have not existed anymore. So you block it out and then somehow it's, it's brought thrusted back into your face and then you have to relive that event over and over again. And again, I think I might've said this before, but like women are like, super strong not physically I mean like the shit they gotta deal with very much and so to you to live with that and then get past it and then that's and then help people I don't think I don't think men got that type of capabilities I mean, no to be honest men are very uh fragile mentally yeah when it comes to something like uh something that would degradate a man yeah embarrass a man take a man's dignity away and 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 that that's the epitome of rape i mean the physical aspect of rape is horrible itself but it's just it it takes away it it's an attempt to take away a woman's dignity or a man again it's, it's an attempt to take away a person's dignity and women being victims of sexual assault more than anybody they they have found a way to be mentally strong mm-hmm. and if they're faced with that kind of situation they are eventually, even if it takes years of therapy or whatever, they are eventually able to overcome yeah. the obstacle that is that kind of humiliating, awful, terrifying event. Not to say men can't, but I don't think men are faced with the even the decision or the, the need to have to nearly as often as women are. Right. You know, again, I've never I've never been objectified, sexually assaulted, mm. anything like that where I feel like somebody is making me feel uh like they're going to take my innocence or take my dignity away from me mm. you know as a black man i felt other types of things similar to that of somebody making me feel less than or something like that but to that extent i've never felt so i can't ever say with a absolute um assurity like oh i know what she means or i know what she's saying cuz i don't right but I can use empathy and I can try to understand what she's saying. And I fully do understand what that woman was saying. And, and, I, and I'm very happy for her having found peace and having, and having found a way to help other people who have become victims of sexual assault and not let it get her down. So um, shout out to Adrian Fields and shout out to, you know, all the, you know, anybody who's a victim of sexual assault, whether you're still getting through it or if you've gotten through it, you know, um, we, we, we bow to you. you. We have nothing but immense respect for your strength. Um, but anyway, to close this out, uh, Shanette never spoke about his crimes, not to detectives, not to reporters. Uh, he never admitted guilt. So we will never know what was going on in his head. Why did he deescalate? How did he choose his victims? He remained a mystery until his death in 2009. <sighs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he got shook and was like, oh, shit, they're on to me. Let me just rape now. But we'll never know. And now he's dead. 
shaking my head. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was that was Dale Chanette, the bathtub killer. And lucky for you, friend, I don't have a riddle for you this week. So I get to go home. You get to go home. Oh, the, yeah. the the oh, yeah. the mystery riddle uh pool is a very shallow pool. Good. So um, I have not found any that I would waste my time just giving Fran a W on because there are only a few left that I haven't, that I've seen that I haven't done and asked him and they're easy or they're absurdly long winded. And I hate already hate having to repeat the question to him. So if it's a long one, I'm not going to keep repeating it over and over again. So I am giving a call to action out to all of you out there. If you've come across any murder mystery riddles, that you think are good and would love for me to hear throw Fran's way. You don't have to. It's fine. You do have to. You it's have it's, to. it's homework for everyone. It's mandatory. Please submit them to you know my DMs, the affirmative murder Instagram DMs, whatever. Email. Well, send us. it to me first, and then don't do that. Can, That's you can send if, it that, to if him. either either do this or don't do it. But what you will not do is send him the 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 message and me the message, and then he already knows the answer. You can do that. That's cheating. That'll work. And we do not. Con- I do not condone we cheating. We both agree. On this- I do not work. condone cheating on this podcast. So do not do that. You can also send it to us at affirmativemurder at gmail Also, in terms uh, when it comes to the one year anniversary special, um, I have put out a call to action to people. If you guys want to submit audio of your favorite moments of this first year of our podcast. Uh, we will be taking those at AffirmativeMurder at gmail.com. We've already gotten a couple of submissions. They are pretty hilarious. I can't wait to chop those together and, and, and kind of splice them into... Is um, that next episode? That's next. That's the next episode after that. Oh, our okay. one year... Our first podcast uh, put up was on October 17th of last year. This year, that time would be October 14th, mid mid-October. The seventeenth is on a Wednesday this year, so the fourteenth is the closest to that Sunday. Yeah. So October fourteenth, we'll be recording, and then October fifteenth, we'll be putting it out. Okay. Um, so I, again, I, I'm you know, if anybody has uh, if you have any questions you would like to ask me or Fran, you could submit those to affirmativemurder@gmail.com, and I'll read them to Fran, and Fran can read the questions you have to me to to me, and you know, we can do that. I want to make it a fun, different thing, and just hear from you guys that are listening. It's it's been a it's been a really fun year. It's been crazy. Just the progression that we've made and, you know, some of the awesome listeners that we have, you know, bonded with and some of we've met and, you know, had correspondence with and sent us things. And it's just been an awesome time. So, again, over the next couple episodes before we roll into the next season, we'll be getting a little sappy and things like this will be happening because we're coming up on a year and it's really awesome. So, um, but, yeah, no, no riddle this week. I don't have one. So Fran, he he can go home, you know, feeling victorious if that's what he wants. I mean, you yep. you you win by default. I was gonna I was gonna solve it anyway. Sure you were. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say. This has been another episode of Affirmative Murder. I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francis Evans. Deuces. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 